You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Ezra chapter 1, and the Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he, might, and that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house of Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you, of all his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had, and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus king of Persia bring forth by the hand of Merdatha, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them, 30 charges of gold, a thousand charges of silver, nine and twenty knives, 30 basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, 410, and other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold, of silver, and of silver were 5,400. All these did Sheshbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from, the, from Babylon unto Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for another night in your house where we're not worried about someone kicking the door and we're not worried about being caught or sent to jail, Lord, where we are free to read your word and hear it preached and sing your praise. I pray now that you would empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you'd loosen my tongue and give me liberty. And I pray that you would just be with the hearts and minds of these people, bind Satan's power, put a hedge protection around this room as I preach your word, Lord. And I pray for all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You all may be seated. I did want to thank Pastor for this opportunity to preach. I don't take it lightly. It's, uh, it's nerve-wracking all day thinking about the, uh, the opportunity to stand behind God's pulpit and proclaim his word. I also want to thank the church here. Since uh, my wife and I have been back, every, almost everyone's come up to us and either introduced themselves because they've never met me, or they've said, we've been praying for you. We're so glad to see you, and we're, we're looking forward to you coming back in May. So I just want to thank you guys for that. It's been a, been a big blessing. Now, you guys have probably never heard this name. Howard William Osterkamp. He was born in Dent, Ohio. No one probably even knows where that is. He served in the Army from 1951 to 1953. And for some of us, that would be, we'd understand that to be during the Korean War. While fighting in Korea, he experienced heavy combat with his unit. He was in the C Company, the 5th Regimental Combat Team. And he was awarded the Purple Heart for his service during this time. Osterkamp, now like I said, that's, that name is probably anything to you. Everything I just said probably just went right over your head. But he's credited with the phrase of, all gave some, and some gave all, which you all hear normally around Veterans Day and Memorial Day. And we hear, it, we hear it a lot, and for good reason. 
Men and women have given their all so that we might enjoy the freedom that we have today in America. This phrase can be applied to a lot of other professions, such as EMTs, firefighters, police officers, who put their lives on the line every day so that we might have safety and protection. And they, like their military counterparts, give their all to save and protect the lives of others. In this line of thought, as I was working through this, I just think the other person I could think of is missionaries. We just talked about Brother Hernandez, who give their all to save some. They give their life to the Lord and spend the rest of it serving in a foreign country where they might see souls saved. There were also people in the Old Testament who went and gave to fulfill God's will. Now, a little background of this passage here. Israel is about to end their 70-year exile. Now, you might say, okay, why are they in exile? Well, because they spent hundreds of years disobeying the Lord and serving other gods and seeking after them and not worshiping him and blaspheming and profaning his name. And so God said, enough. You're going to exile. And he warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them, and there was nothing left to do. I know this morning in uh, Brother Mark's class, we talked about Josiah's reign. And even though Josiah was a great king, and he was getting the people right back on track, at the, end of that, at the end of that chapter, God says, despite all you've done, you'll have peace in your day, but the judgment's coming. There's nothing left you can do. I'm sorry. And so we see the judgment, and we see this is the ending of the judgment. So we see, that, um, we see that Cyrus has just come on the scene. Now, I know in this passage it says this is the first year of his reign. This isn't King Cyrus's first year of the reign over Persia. This will be his first year over the reign of Babylon. Now, the Babylonians had their own punishment. They were the ones who conquered Israel and drug them away into captivity. And the Lord said, I'm going to punish them also. And then someone else is going to take over, and that would be King Cyrus. And, and he prophesied this all the way back in Jeremiah 29.10, that he would eventually release the people to go back to the land. So in our passage today, we're going to see everyone do something. We're going to see a command given. We're going to see the Israelites respond to this command. And we're even going to see Gentiles have a response to this, this command that's going to be given. Throughout the Old Testament, we see foreign kings have oppressed and distressed the Israelites. But right here, we see one serving the Lord. So... I guess the best way to put this is God sometimes uses leaders to accomplish his purposes. And so right here, we're going to see King Cyrus accomplish the Lord's purpose. So we see in verse 1 that it says that the Lord stirred King Cyrus's heart, his spirit. Now, right here, he's going to fulfill the word of the Lord because God's prophecies always come true. And so here is, here is one that was prophesied hundreds of years ago that's going to come true. Now, be mindful that Cyrus did not worship the Lord. Before this moment, I'm sure Cyrus had never even heard of the word Jehovah or Yahweh until he had conquered Babylon. And in this first year, the Lord spoke to him. But the Lord saw fit to use an unbeliever to bring about the fulfillment of prophecy. Normally it was the Israelites, but here God uses the Gentile. Now Cyrus proclaimed this new God, not just to those in Babylon, but to those in the entire Persian kingdom. So it wasn't like he was just directing a message to this small portion of the world the Lord had just given him. He was directing it to the entire known world at that time. Now, the Jews should have seen this coming, since God had told them who exactly would release them. We see in Isaiah, twice, the Lord mentions King Cyrus by name. Now, there are people who will say, okay, well, that's because Isaiah was written in two parts, and yada, 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 yada. No. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah, only the prophet Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, and he told him, my servant Cyrus will release the people out of captivity. And that is why when, when the when the Jews and the Israelites in Babylon heard that King Cyrus was marching across the land, they should have gotten excited, and they should have been rejoicing because they knew the captivity was coming to an end. Daniel knew the captivity was coming to an end. 
because he was studying scripture. But we'll see the Israelites have a little bit different response here. So King, in verse 2, we see that King Cyrus proclaims what the Lord has charged, that the Lord has charged him to build God a house in Jerusalem. So Cyrus, in this verse, recognizes that the Lord has blessed him with all that he has, which is unusual for a king, because normally the king takes credit for everything he's done, takes credit for all the wins he has. But here Cyrus is giving praise unto the Lord, which would have been, everyone in his kingdom would have been like, what is he doing? Who is this God he is talking about? We also see Cyrus specifically states that is the Lord, Jehovah, L-O-R-D, all caps, Jehovah, God of heaven that has done this, not the God he normally worships. They would, have been, they would have been looking for him to offer sacrifices, give praise to this, this false idol that he normally worships. But for him to put, to put the Lord before the people would have been bewildering to everyone around them. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> Cyrus has spent his whole life worshiping a different God. The Israelites have spent the 70 years worshiping the Lord. But we, we, see that the, we see that it's almost like Cyrus has more faith and more trust in what the Lord has than what the Israelites do. A God different than the one he normally worships spoke to him. And you notice Cyrus doesn't put up a fight. Normally, normally even the Israelites who are called to, to lead or to be prophets or to teach, they always put up some sort of fight. They always give up some sort of excuse of why they can't do it. But we see Cyrus, he doesn't do that. He hears the Lord speak to him, and then he immediately goes, yeah, I'll do that. I'll make that proclamation. No fuss, no nothing. <clears throat> and the first thing he asks is, who among the Jews would go and rebuild the temple? She shouldn't have had to ask. They should have been on his door waiting for him to say something, knowing that he was going to release them to go do this work. But, but Cyrus calls them out and challenges them. Now, remember, this is not a proclamation that was spoken just to the Jews in Babylon. This was for the entire, the entire Babylonian Empire and the entire Persian Empire. And everyone in the Persian Empire would have heard this proclamation because it says in verse 1 that Cyrus made the proclamation throughout all the kingdom even putting it in writing. Now, that might not be significant for us, but back then, when a, when a Persian king put something in writing, I mean, that was law. It meant that nothing could go against that. It meant that once that was written down and stamped, there was no going back. This was, something was set in motion that could not be taken back. But on top of this, he commanded the neighbors of the Jews to help them however they can. So not only is he telling the Jews, hey, you can go home, but he's saying, you who are around him, you got to help them go home you got to give up a little bit. So it was not for the Jews only to act, because normally, normally in Scripture we see that it's something for the Jews to do. But here we see it's not just for the Jews to act, but for the Gentiles also. And it's not just something small, it's something significant. He's asking for money, he's asking for goods, he's asking for animals. These, these, now, animals isn't significant to us, but that would have been their, that would have been their livelihood, a, along with money and goods. It wasn't like it was easy to go down to Walmart back in Persia to get stuff. You had to acquire it. And so for them to give up these items would have been significant for them, especially for people who they don't really know. Or like, I guess they would have known them for 70 years, but any, any soldier who had just moved into Babylon would have been like, oh, I've just met this guy, now I've got to give him my 10 sheep? But on top of this, Cyrus is saying, you're going to do all this on top of a free will offering that Persia is going to give the Israelites to take back to Jerusalem to help them rebuild. So you're going to have to go beyond what, what just giving something out of your household. So how will God's people respond to a worldly leader moved by the Lord? They're not, they've, never, they've never experienced this before. Well, we see, we see Israel. We see God working in Israel. He, he's raising up people to do his will. And he, he starts with the spiritual leaders. So we see that two tribes stand up to start helping them. We see Judah and Benjamin. Now these would have been the first two tribes, these would have been the last two tribes exiled out of Israel. 
So the, the, the northern 11 tribes would have been exiled first, and then Judah and part of Benjamin would have gone after them, would have been part of the final captivity taken off. So we see that, so we see that the, now you'll notice if it was all the leaders, it would, just, it would have just said the leaders of Israel rose up. No, it says Judah and Benjamin rose up, which means those are the only two that were looking to do the Lord's will at this time. Now, there could be, there's ideas of what could have happened. I think, I think the majority is here is that, is that they took the prophet's words to heart when God said, settle in, you're in for the long haul. You're not coming back in a couple years. You're not coming back in five years, 70 long years. Build houses, raise families, get jobs, you ain't coming back. I think they took it a little bit too much to heart. Instead of remembering that they were going to eventually go back, they just said, oh, I'll just stay here. I ain't going back. 70 years? Nah, it ain't happening. If they even remember there was a 70 years, they said, no, we're just, I've got land here. I've got family here. I've got livestock. I've got a good career. I've got money in the bank. I ain't going back to Jerusalem. I'm going to stay right here. But Judah and Benjamin were different. They said, no, we're going back. It's time to build. It's time to get back there and put everything back, putting back, put things back to the way they were supposed to be. We also see the Levites and the priests rise up. Now, Levites and the priests would have been a tribe of themselves. So they, they did rise up, but that's because, they were, that's because finally the Levites and the priests were, give, were able to go back to what they were called to do, what, what that tribe was given a task, given to them so long ago, which was to minister and take care of the temple and to look after it. And now they get to go back and do that. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're very excited. <clears throat> but God not only moved the leaders, he also moved the laymen to rise up and help him. So even though the leaders of the tribes may have ignored the call to go back, the, the common folk didn't. The Holy Spirit worked and in, in, worked in rose and went with these people. It says right here in verse 5, And all of them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. God worked in these men's lives, these common folks' lives, who, who would have to uproot their families and take them, take them back to Jerusalem. God worked in them and drew them to these leaders to go and to help and to see this cause through. They would have had to leave, leave, leave comfort, familiarity, and family to do this, to do the Lord's will, but they chose to do that. They chose to sacrifice like that. And be mindful, they're not going back to a completed city. Babylon was a, was a crown jewel, not only just for Babylon, but for Persia itself. It became one of the capital cities of Persia. It was something beautiful to behold. And you might think, well, doesn't it take sieging to take a capital like that? Read the rest of Daniel. Um, Babylon basically would have been left intact after Persia took it. And so it would still be a crowning jewel. And so to leave such a beautiful city in a beautiful place would have been difficult. But these men chose to do it. And what Nebuchadnezzar left back in Israel wasn't anything worth going back to. Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, the defiance and the stubbornness of the, of the Judeans caused the Lord to rise anger up in Nebuchadnezzar for him just to level the city. Had, had they listened to God and said, okay, we'll, just, we'll go with Nebuchadnezzar, we'll take our punishment, we'll take our smack on the wrist and we'll go, I, I think God would have left the temple. Now, it would, have been left in, it would have been left in more ruins, but he would have left it. But because they, because they bucked, because they pressed against God's will and said, no, I don't want my punishment. Like the kid who's, who's covering, co covering his bottom as he's about to get spankings. And then you smack them once, they move their hands. I, I think God was like, okay, fine. I got, I'm leveling it. I'm done. And so they're going back to an uninhabitable city and an uninhabitable town. And the only thing that was left there was ruins and the undesirables that, that Nebuchadnezzar felt weren't worth taking back to Babylon. Now, these Jews who decided to follow the Lord were following him into the unknown. Be mindful that 
I know we've read the rest of the passage and it says that the neighbors help them, but there's no promise that they're going to help them. There's no promise how much they're going to help them with. But what we see here first is the, is the leaders of Judah and, Judah and Benjamin and the, and the laymen who decided to, riot, to follow the Lord's will and, and go to Jerusalem went on faith. They, just, they made the decision, they chose to go, and then the Lord provided what they needed to go. They were going in unknown. They had no idea what the Lord was going to provide or if he was going to provide everything he needed or even if they were going to survive the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. It wasn't like they could hop in the caravan car and drive down. They had to, they had to take a trek, a journey there. They had to take all their supplies with them. But they went nonetheless and they trusted the Lord. And all the Israelites, remember, I really want to get this point across, all the Israelites should have been ready to go as soon as they heard the name of the new king. As soon as they heard King Cyrus was, was marching against Babylon, they should have been packing up their stuff, ready to go back to Jerusalem to do the Lord's work. But even after 70 years of exile, they still cannot fully bend themselves to the Lord's will. Now we have seen how the Israelites have responded. Now let's look at how the Gentiles are going to respond. Now, God will sometimes cause those around his people to help them accomplish his will. And God will use them to offer, right here where we see, animals, goods, finances. Now, right here we see the Lord bless the Israelites' faithfulness. Because you'll notice here it says that they strengthened the Israelites' hands. Now, the Gentiles, that, that word, the Hebrew word is, is kazak. I'm not Jason Gaddis. I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> um, it means like be encouraged, to be established, fashion, force, fortify, make hard, harden, and help. They not only gave of their goods and their animals and their livelihood, they, they strengthened them. They said, good luck. We're, you know, we're hoping for the best for you. You know, it's really difficult. We're really happy that you get to go back and you get to rebuild your city. Best of luck to you. So the Gentiles gave their physical goods, but they also gave the, like, almost like a spiritual encouragement to these guys, not even knowing what task laid before them. And remember, everything that's listed there was on top of everything that was going to be given for the free will offering, which means the Gentiles went above and beyond to help the Israelites. Now, I could, I could plug any number of ministry stories here from, from past missionaries and past church planners of how, how some, someone unsaved or someone who doesn't go to church came and helped them and helped them accomplish something. But I want to use a personal example here. Um, this past semester, um, we saw the Lord do something like this in, our, in my and my wife's life. Um, my school bill, because of some, how some things worked out, ended up being way more than I had planned on it being. I kind of had it set away that, that I'd be able to pay it right off the beginning of the semester, and I just wasn't sure how we were going to work this out now. And so I just let Alana know while she was at work, and she was talked to a coworker about it. And right there, the Lord worked in that coworker's heart, and she and her husband covered the rest of my school bill, so we didn't have to worry about it this semester. And it was, just, it was a blessing to see the Lord work like that. But we need to be mindful here that after the after the the neighbors of the Israelites did their part, Cyrus didn't Cyrus didn't just leave them high and dry. God will use worldly leaders to help His people accomplish His will. Even with all the help the Gentiles were giving the Israelites, Cyrus still had a part to play. Now he could have given the proclamation and sat back and made sure everyone helped the Israelites, but he did more. He reached into his own pocket and helped them also. Now, rarely do we see a world leader help Jews out in the Bible. Normally, they're trying to take from them or conquer them or put them out. But we see Cyrus here really, really going above and beyond for the Israelites here. Now, you'll see in the last, the last couple of verses here, from 7 to 11, Nebuchadnezzar, not Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus reaches in 
to the temples that Nebuchadnezzar had left and pulls out the, the, basically the vessels that would, that would have been needed in order to run the temple once it's, once it's rebuilt. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had taken these from the temple when he took Jerusalem. So when he sacked Jerusalem and he destroyed the temple, he took all of what he thought was valuable out of it and he brought it back to Babylon. And so this is what, this is what was kept. Now, you could see the Lord's provision here is that, is that Nebuchadnezzar could have melted these down. Nebuchadnezzar could have sold these off. Nebuchadnezzar could have passed them out as trophies to his soldiers. He didn't. He brought them back. He put them in safe keeping because God knew that he, they were, the Israelites were going to need them in 70 years. And so when people tell me that God can't preserve his word, and I can't have the inspired, complete word of God, I say, but he can keep some vessels safe for 70 years? Something that could have been remade? Nah, not happening. <clears throat> now, Cyrus is giving back to them, so that, so that once the temples are re rebuilt, the, the, the vessel's purpose can be put back to use. Because they were built specifically, they were set apart, they were holy, specifically for the temple, and they're going to go back to being that very soon. Now, he gives them the Shesbazar, and this seems like someone random and unknown. You might have looked at that and said, who is that? Well, you probably know, know him better by his Hebrew name, Zerubbabel. And the only reason I know how to pronounce that one is because Brother Raspberry, during Old Testament survey freshman year, was dead set on convincing all of us to name our firstborn son Zerubbabel, because he wants to call them Bubba. <laughs> So that'll help you remember that one. So Sheshbazar was most likely his Persian name. If you'll remember back in the book of Daniel, Daniel and his three friends all had Babylonian names. This would have been Zerubbabel's Persian name. So now the Bible goes on to specifically number everything Cyrus gave the Israelites to take back with them to Jerusalem. And it's, it's not an insignificant amount. It's not like it's, it's 10 bulls that were sitting in this God's temple. No, we're talking about 5,400 items. 5,400 items the Lord kept safe and protected for 70 years, just like the Lord kept his word and continues to keep his word safe and protected in the King James Version. Now, you'll see, you'll see kind of an overlap here because once again, the Israelites are leaving captivity to go to Israel to take it back, to reoccupy it, and they don't have anything to do it with, but the Lord showers blessings upon them. Just like when they left Egypt to go to Canaan for the first time, as they were leaving, the Egyptians were told just to give the Israelites whatever they wanted. Whatever you could give them, just give them so they'll leave and leave us alone. And we see the Lord doing that here again in a little bit of a different way. Now, you might say, yeah, but we don't really see this in our modern day. How does this work out in our day? Well, I've got a little bit more modern example for us to think about. Um, and that would be the life of Adonai Judson, the Baptist missionary to Burma. And during his ministry there in Burma, um, he, felt he faced a lot of opposition, a lot of struggles. He, wasn't, he didn't have liberty to preach. He had to go into a lot of secrecy. But then the English invaded, and he was taken prisoner for 21 months during this time and tortured and left in cells to rot. But once the English beat the Burmese and they, they, they occupied a certain part of the colony, Judson was released from the, from the Burmese government. And he had, a, he had a free ministry where he could preach the gospel. And he saw his ministry boom and take, and take place like it had never done before. Because before that, it took him 13 years to see one convert. And so while the English weren't necessarily trying to do that, but the Lord worked through the English invading Burmese so that that could take place, so that, so that Judson's ministry could expand. Just like we're going to see the temple rebuilt. 
later on in the Bible through here, and we're going to see the Lord start working in the Israelites' lives. Now, God is not done using leaders to do his will, and we need to make sure that we're where we're supposed to be when he does. God used Cyrus to charge the Israelites to build him a house in Jerusalem. God raised up not only the leaders of the Israelites, but also the people of Israel themselves. And God then caused the people around the Israelites to help them accomplish his will. Israel could fulfill God's charge to build his house by rising up to do the work and accepting help from those around them. Now, we're probably not going to see a lost person start asking for more churches to be built or more people to start attending church. It's just, just not going to happen. But I do see lost parents send their kids on the buses. If you're here for the prayer meeting, Brother, brother Mark brought up, um, Brother Mike Haven brought up the fact that the buses are bringing in kids. We saw, we saw a bus kid saved this morning. Yeah, you're right. Lost parents all walk through the doors, but they're sending their kids to us. Back in, back in, South, back in Oklahoma, um, the Lord saw fit to make me a bus captain of a bus up there. And though even though I wasn't there this morning, um, the bus I captained had 26 riders when we were running one over the summer, and we had three visitors, and one of the visitors got saved. Amen. All because, while we're, not seeing, while we're not seeing a ton of lost parents walk through the doors, they're sending their kids to us, and that is how we get into their homes. There's a, there's a, there's a little boy named Junior up in Oklahoma City that we were, we were picking up every week, and then eventually his mom's like, I got, a, I got a newborn. Can I still ride the bus? And I went, absolutely, you can ride the bus. And now she's coming faithfully every week. And I just, I'm waiting for the day where she tells me she gets saved. And I see, a, I see a life change there. And we do see lost people look to churches for help. Very rarely do you see them. Well, they're getting help from the government. We still see them coming to church looking for help, looking for answers, looking for purpose and meaning. And we have to be there for those people. We have to be there for those parents who send their kids on the bus. We have to be there for those kids on the buses so that we can, we can bring them in and show them love and teach them the gospel. Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? We have seen the world calling Christians when things get difficult. When people are down on the luck, they look to Christians normally for help. When natural disasters happen, Christians only rally together and help in some way. And sometimes we see lost people helping Christians. I've known, I've known lost people who have given money to Christians when they needed it. I've known lost people who have lent a helping hand to Christians when other Christians wouldn't even look at them. So you can fulfill his calling by going and giving. There are going to be many things that try to pull you from going and giving. Fears of the unknown, not knowing how trusting the Lord over your job will ever work out. Not knowing how you could explain what the Lord is calling you to do or give will ever make sense to the parents or family members. Wondering how if I give 10% of everything I make, I'll never be able to pay off my house, a car, or a loan. I'll never be able to save for retirement. And I, but I cannot count how many people I know who have lived their entire lives giving to the work of the Lord, trusting Him to provide for them. And they never had trouble with any of these things. I had a, I had a Sunday school teacher when I was in elementary school. She's trying to explain tithing to us. Try to explain tithing to a nine-year-old. And what she said didn't make much sense at the time, but something she said always stuck with me. She said that every month when her and her husband sat down to pay bills, they always set aside their tithe first. Before they ever opened a bill, before they looked at how much money they made that month, they set aside their tithe first. And then they paid all their bills. And she said, not once do they ever not have enough money to pay all their bills. Not once. And so for a little nine-year-old that doesn't, I mean, who doesn't understand bills that much, it didn't make much sense, but I just I think about that every day now. 
about how they were just faithful in that one little thing, and the Lord always took care of them and always watched out for them. So when we give things like tithe and faith promise, we get the opportunity to see the, Lord, see the Lord's work done here. We get the opportunity to see the bus run in the mornings. We get the opportunity to see the bus kids come in and go to Sunday school and go to church and get loved on. And in the text, the king and the neighbors of the Israelites would most likely never see the temple finished. But because they gave, as they were commanded, the Lord's work was able to be accomplished. We may never see the work of church planners or missionaries accomplished. We may never see all the churches that Brother Hernandez has planted down in Brazil or the other missionaries that we support here. We never understand their influence and, and the impact they're making in their areas. We know that there's fruit added to our account for that. We know that there's, there's a reward waiting in heaven for us, and that shouldn't be why we do it, but we get to come back and we get to hear Brother Hernandez tell us amazing stories of what he's done because of our faithfulness. And as a real college student who's married with a baby on the way, sometimes it's hard to tithe. Knowing about all the bills that are coming up and about all the things we need, but I tithe anyway because I can only see so much of what is in front of me, but the Lord can see all of it. And is it my place to tell him what I think is best when I can only see three feet in front of me and he can see the next eternity? He knows how those bills are gonna get paid. He knows how he's gonna provide for all our needs. I just need to make sure that I am being faithful to him and he'll be faithful to me. And you may run the bills this for the month and see that you do not have enough to pay everything if you tithe and give to Faith Promise Missions. So what do you do? You tithe and give anyway. Well, you don't know how things will work out, the Lord does. And I cannot tell you how all those bills are going to get paid or how the groceries are going to get purchased, but I know a good God who's never let the righteous go hungry or left the believer forsaken. If we think back to some of the times and other times in the Old Testament, like the prophet Elijah, who was forsaken by his own countrymen, who had to live in a forest for a time, and the only thing, that he, the only thing he could trust was that the Lord was going to send him birds to feed him, but he had to trust they were going to bring him food periodically. Then he had to go to a widow woman and, and trust that she was going to have faith enough to make him food first so the Lord would replenish it to feed her and her son and continue to do that. But he did, and the Lord looked after both of them and kept them safe. And you may be a single mother sitting here not knowing how you're going to make ends meet. You may be a father who just lost his job and doesn't know how he's going to provide if he keeps giving faith promise while he's unemployed. But the Lord will take care of all of that as long as you trust him and are faithful. The Israelites had to trust that their neighbors were going to give them what they needed to not only get to Jerusalem, but to be able to be afford to build the temple and live there while they started farming and eating their flocks together. They had to take a step of faith before the Lord would, the Lord would provide them first. You may be thinking, how can I survive if I do and give all that the Lord has commanded me to do? Don't worry about the, about the ending. Focus on the beginning. Focus on starting. The Lord will handle all the details of the in-between. The first step is to rise and answer the call. Then the Lord will show you the next step and the next one after that. And so if you're here and you don't know the Lord is your Savior, and you're looking for answers and you're looking for the next step, the first step is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and ask for forgiveness of your sins. And we'll be here for the next couple steps because that's why we're here. To go and give fulfills God's call. Now you may not be called today, but you're called to go today, but you are called to give. Everyone should be tithing. It's a biblical command. The Lord cannot bless you if you are not tithing. And you start stepping out in faith with your giving. Start giving a little each month to Faith Promise Missions. Start planning to increase what you give to see how the Lord will work. And you could be called tomorrow. We need to always be open to what the Lord has for us. 
You may never be called to something else, but you should be ready for something else. You need to have a walk with the Lord that shows you're ready to do whatever he may ask of you. Don't wake up in a couple of years wishing you had been more committed to the Lord, wishing you had given more. Start right now with getting committed to the Lord and ask the Lord what he would have you to do to step out in faith. Now, I want to, kind of, I want to close here with this. Pastors brought up when we started coming faithfully, but I want to bring up before we started coming faithfully. Now, be mindful. There's a huge step of faith sitting right next door, a huge one, one that I don't even fully understand because I've not been around here for it. But it took trust in the Lord to get where it look, took trusting the Lord to get to where it is now. It also took a pastor and a congregation to step out and trust the Lord was going to provide for them. And now there might be some here who say, if they don't say it verbally, but in their hearts, I have no clue how we're going to get this thing paid off or how we're going to keep the doors open. But I remember my first Wednesday night service here at Heritage. I sat right about where Brother Mike Haven is by myself. I just got off work, rushed over here because I wanted to be here. And Brother Atwood was preaching one of his last sermons here. And, jo and who I knew then as Brother Johnny was sitting next to me, not knowing that shortly thereafter he'd be my pastor. And Brother Atwood took the opportunity to preach on faithful giving, about how this church, before a lot of us were here, gave faithfully and sacrificially so that the building we're standing in, we're sitting in right now, could be paid off. People put house payments back. People put car payments back. They wanted to get paid off. And they put this church first. They put God first. So I got to sit there and I got to hear about how this church, church just gave. And how they got the loan paid off for this church when there was, there was maybe, maybe three, there was less than three quarters of what there is here tonight. And the bank barely got to see a profit off that loan because the church had given so faithfully to get it paid off so quickly. Now, Brother Atwood isn't here anymore. Some of those people who were there that night are no longer here. But I believe the same spirit of giving and sacrificing that was there then is still here today. It's going to take putting some personal things on the back burner. It's going to take putting the Lord first. It's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take going and knocking on more doors to fill those empty seats. It's going to take some, some giving that might stretch you further than the Lord ever has. But to go and give fulfills God's call. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.